Maddening, isn't it? This is Mad as Hell in America, Portland's Progressive Talk, 620 KPOJ. The future needs a big kiss, winds blow with a twist. Never seen a moon like this, can you see it too? Night is falling everywhere, rockets hit the fun fair. Satan loves a bomb scare, but won't scare you. Welcome back to Mad as Hell in America. I'm your host, Adam Klugman. You're listening to AM620KPOJ, Portland's smart talk station. It's very, very cold out there, but it's red hot here in the studio, uh, feeling a lot of fire. But there's a much bigger picture out there that we are after fundamental change in the way we do things on the planet. Are you feeling impatient? I am feeling extremely impatient. I want change right now. I don't want it in the future. I want the change that I want to see in the world right now. And we have to start talking about what it means to get that change right now. Or it will be perpetually in the future. Are you feeling impatient? I am feeling extremely impatient these days. Only because I can see a world that works for everyone. I see that that's possible. 503-248-0620. are the numbers. We also have a new number, 1-855-MAD-AS-HELL. We're trying it out. First time today, 1-855-MAD-AS-HELL. Are the numbers, that's 623-2743-1-855-623-2743. Give it a call. Let me know if it's working. I don't even know if it's working. Uh, let's go to Sean in Battleground. Sean, welcome to Mattis Hell in America. Adam, um, over the last couple of weeks, Oregon Public Broadcasting has been airing a show called Unnatural Causes. It's all about how uh, economic inequality actually takes years off your life. Like, I guess poor people, that, poor, that inequality, economic inequality really does kill you. And, you yes, know, it does. Over the last couple of weeks, you know, we had that, that vicious beating on public transit here in Portland. And I must have seen that thing shown about, you know, a hundred times about this, this, you know, poor white girl being beaten by these three black girls. Right. But it struck me that, you know, what about all the violence that's structural? What about all the violence that's institutional that we never see? Right. You know, capitalism destroys, destroys lives, kills people, takes years off their lives. And and yet we don't have a nice, convenient video of that to show people. We you know? don't. I think that's a great point, Sean. So how do we show that to them? I mean, I, I think, think you've got a point. There's economic violence. There's social violence. Well, you know, it, it's like the system is really good at disappearing people. Like, I was reading something the other day about the unemployment rate, about the U3 and the U6 unemployment numbers. Yeah. How real unemployment today is somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 to 17%. Right, like I saw that. the old way of counting it. And, like, the workforce participation rate is really, really low. And I actually heard someone the other day say, like, well, a lot of people are in community college. <laughs> you know, you know that, that, oh, okay. gar- that garbage dump of broken dreams called community college. <laughs> College, you know? <laughs> there you go. Yeah, and, and, and so it's this system is really good at like you know disappearing people into the prison industrial complex. You know America's gulag system. You know, and, and just 
We don't have the nice, easy picture that we can throw on the evening news every night, you know. But there is a tremendous amount of social and economic violence that goes on that, like you say, you don't have a you can't capture it on videotape. Exactly. Uh, All we can do is talk about it, you know, and that's uh, I love your show because this is one of our few avenues we get to do that. Well, Sean, thank you so much for saying so. And thanks so much for calling. I appreciate it. Want to join the conversation? Five zero three two four eight zero six twenty one eight six six four five two zero six twenty. Also, brand new number, one eight five five mad as hell I'm just trying it out. It's a pilot program that we're doing here today. You know, that is the thing. We're talking about the change and getting real. I love Sean's point that we can't put economic violence on videotape, but we can feel it and we can see it in our friends and in our neighbors. And you know where else I, I perceive violence? There's, there's this, this policy violence that takes place in the form of corporate personhood. Uh, yesterday, I went to an Occupy the Courts event that was a nationwide coordinated event. And it was beautiful because people were down there saying we're mad as hell and we're simply not going to take this anymore. And you know what else is going on? It's getting worse out there in corporate land. Did you hear this whole thing about Monsanto? Uh, There was this rumor that Monsanto was actually buying Blackwater, which is a terrifying thought because Monsanto does what? Agricultural violence, to use the language that Sean was using. And as it turns out, it does. It isn't that Blackwater is going is buying Monsanto is buying Blackwater, but that rather they are basically renting Blackwater. They have enlisted their services. So can you talk about evil? Monsanto and Blackwater. You know, I used to read comic books when I was a kid, you know, and it's like the super evil team up of Monsanto and Blackwater. It's corporate terror. That's what's going on. It's corporate flipping jihad out there. I got a letter from somebody here in the Northwest who's going to show us exactly what it's like on the ground. Just in case you think I'm just talking big picture, there's a small picture we got to take a look at when we come back. You're listening to Mad as Hell in America. I'm Adam Klugman. We'll be right back. They don't eat. Back to Mad as Hell in America. You're listening to AM620 KPOJ. I'm your host, Adam Klugman. And that's Pearl Jam Rats. You know who that goes out to? That's going out to the corporate jihadists who have taken complete control of our political system and expect us to eat it. But we're not going to eat it. We're going to spit it out. And we're going to make them hear us. They're gonna, we're going to make them know... We are here. Let's go to calls in a minute. I'm going to read an email uh, about these corporate jihadists and how it trickles down to the individual. Here we go. Let's go to Betty. Betty, welcome to Mad as Hell in America. Hi. What's up? I met you at um, Rabbi uh, Learner's. I remember you, Betty, at the Rabbi Learner's speech. Yeah, I want to talk about consciousness because I think that's really at the base of what we're trying to get to. Okay. It's wonderful to be mad in America because we have a lot to be mad about. Right. 
But on the other side, we have so much to be grateful for. And we need to take time, like once an hour, to let go of the mad and get into that love that you saw between your kids because that's what will make us grow in consciousness. I agree. I think we have to do both, don't you, Betty? I mean, on the one hand, we have to not accept injustice when we see it. We can't isolate ourselves behind, well, my life's good, I'm happy, because eventually what happens is that that what's happening in the world encroaches on your insular little world. But at the same time, we have to give gratitude. We have to be grateful for what we do have in this country. I think that's the energy that finally heals things. We we need the anger to keep us awake, but we right need but we need the pause in the moment to feel and to look around us and to get the love that we are. I, if we don't pause in the anger, we don't see it. We're not awake to really what life means. That was uh, so much of what Rabbi Michael Lerner's message was the other night. Beautiful. You know. Wasn't it great when he was talking about throwing away realism, saying, you know, well, we got to be realistic about what's going on in the Middle East. We have to be realistic about our goals in the world. But then he went on to say that that how could this generation talk about realism when it has seen these completely unrealistic social movements like the civil rights movement, like the women's rights movement, completely transform the world? Uh, These were not realistic approaches. These were idealistic approaches. In fact, realism just keeps us kind of rooted in the status quo, whereas idealism allows us to to believe in the possibility of transcending the status quo. But we forget. That's the problem. That's why we got to get mad as hell. Like you said, mad, mad as hell keeps us awake. Betty, it's a pleasure meeting you the other night, and thanks so much for calling. I do appreciate it. Thank you for your work and your awakeness. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks for the call. Uh, numbers here. I'm going to just give you one. one mad as hell one 2743 Let's go to Dave. Dave, welcome to Mad as Hell in America. What's up, Dave? Hey, yeah, Adam. Hey, I was listening to you last week, and you were getting in a conversation with a, a right to life. Or, and I don't know if you remember it, but he uh, got you kind of steamed. What did he say? Well, I'm, I'm not sure, but he was a real right-to-lifer. But anyway, when you get one of these guys on there, ask him about the death penalty, because I've done it. And every one of these real fervent right-to-lifers, when it comes to the death penalty, they have no problem with it. Even if it kills an innocent, you know, even if an innocent person gets caught up in it, and their rationale is that, uh, that uh, you know, you might kill an innocent person, but the number of bad people you'll kill, it's worth it. So these people are basically anti-abortion. You bet. You know, it's it's every life is sacred until you get here, and then you're on your own, Jack. Exactly. You know what I mean? And then, and they, oh, think- sorry, no education, no health care. No, no, sorry. Once you're born, they don't give a rip. That's right. And I think, you know, that anti-abortion thing goes back to unwanted kids make good for prison systems, uh, grunts in the military, cheap labor. Right. And I don't think there's, and I, and I don't know if the connection there, if it was, you know, how it came about, but I, I just feel there is one. Well, I do appreciate the call, Dave. We just yeah. got we got to remember that uh, every life is sacred uh, once you get here. You know what I mean? And once it's in the woman's body, uh, it's her body, it's her choice. But once you get here, uh, I wish that those same people would care more. But, you know, you've been seeing in the Republican debates, right? I mean, they've applauded Rick Perry for killing, assassinating, murdering, whatever word you want, whatever nice 
nice word you want to use for it. Bottom line is Rick Perry has murdered more prisoners than anyone, any governor in the history of this country, and he got applause. And, uh, you know, the person who made the mistake at 30 years old of not having health care uh, ends up in a coma. What do we do? Let him die. You know, well, it's madness, you know, and it's pure hypocrisy. And, you know, the reality is we all know that this abortion issue is just a wedge issue. It's just to mobilize their base. They will. They don't want Roe v. Wade overturned. If they Roe v. Wade was overturned, how would they mobilize their base? Right. This is they don't want it. The politicians don't want it. I think the right to lifers want it. But the politicians definitely don't want it because, you know, on the Republican side, this is what they use. This is their, you know, they're acing the hole when they get desperate. That's what they they whip that out. Let's go to Mitch in Providence, Rhode Island. Mitch, welcome to Madison in America. Mitch, what's life like in Providence, Rhode Island? Well, I can tell you there's probably about six inches of snow on the ground. Everyone's driving horribly. Yeah. Um, well, I wanted uh, what I wanted to talk about was uh, adding on to the consciousness bit uh, yeah. the woman uh, talked about earlier. Betty. Um, I'm 21 years old, and honestly, this whole uh, everything that's going on right now, the politics, the, um, the, all, the, all, the, all the just the bad economy and all that is just adding on to, like, stress in a way for right. us younger kids. Mm. Because we actually are supposed to be the ones who have the potential of, moving on and, and being the next generation to rule, you know, America and to, to help and flourish and all that. Right. It's your, you're supposed to inherit something worth inheriting with full of opportunity. Exactly. And... Yeah. So we, I'm understanding that to, to get the ability to do this, like she said, we have to uh, love and understand. So like one consciousness, people have to start like understanding that, but I don't, I want to try to help people understand more or less by um, uh, just teaching them to sit down, like she was saying, and just think, what are the good things that have happened in your life recently, like for the past week or so? Don't think about, you know, how your bills are coming up or how all of those other things are, are, are coming up. You know, it's just like live in the moment that you are in right now. Is there, are you at war? Are you, you know, are you doing anything wrong in your life? Are you over in Afghanistan right now? You know, to take things one step at a time and to understand that if everyone understands, if we're here together. No, I, like, I, I get it. I, I, here's what I think. I think there's a blend because I understand. I mean, if, if we if we respond to the stress and we take it at face value uh, of this world, if we're, as I was saying earlier, if you're looking for guilt in this world, you'll find it. If you're looking for despair and suffering, there's no shortage Right. Of that. But but the stand, what I'm trying to do with the show and what I think it's incumbent upon us because is to take a stand for this new loving worldview that you're talking about. So mm-hmm. the idea is to get it public. That's where this this new consciousness and mad as hell come together in my mind. Is, right. is because, so, so the idea would be, okay, yeah, no, I'm not at war right now. Yes, I have enough right now. And yes, that ultimately, that vibration, that knowledge of knowing that I have all that I need right now it, it is ultimately the truth of what it means to be here. We, there's no shortage of food. There's no shortage of new ideas. There's no shortage of, of all that we need 
to build a world that works for everyone. But the problem right. is, is that when we get too insular and we and we don't act, then then what we do is we rob the opportunity, the world, the opportunity for real change. So that's what Mad as Hell is about. Is about is 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 not not buying into the Maya of the stress and the despair and the suffering of the world, but 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 not just getting complacent about it either and demanding a response from ourselves exactly yeah. to that injustice so my thing to you mitch is like okay so how how do you take your desire to have to live in a more loving less stressful world with less suffering and take that message out in a way that transforms the world that's what mad as hell is all about right exactly and you know what just like she was saying sitting down honest to god i feel like um meditation is definitely a very key to inspiring yourself because it's pretty much all about self like uh, how you're going to be able to take on the world right i agree as Don't... well as caring for every single other individual that you are with yeah you know it's the old thing uh sure faithful move mountains but also bring a shovel so meditate and then when you're done meditating get up and get out and get politically active because it's not just enough it takes both right. to be politically active with no raised consciousness please i'd rather you stayed at home so you want to raise your consciousness and then act that is the combination that we're looking for uh mitch exactly. i i appreciate the call man thanks for calling from rhode island good luck with the Thank snow you. oh thanks a lot all right all right, so I want to read an email here. Uh, we've been talking about corporate personhood. There was an Occupy the Courts event. Um, we're talking about, I was talking about corporate jihad, uh, which is pretty much the way I see what's going on. Uh, it's, it's, it's corporations, you know, warring against this country, which is our home. So I had to change the name of this person. And in a minute, you'll know why. And I also cannot disclose this person's name, uh, th their location, or where they work. This is from Eric from somewhere in the Northwest. Here's what he wrote me. I want to tell you why I am mad as hell. I work for a local paper mill in blank, uh, and about five years ago, Coke Industries bought the entire corporation for blank billion of dollars. Uh, I have worked at this paper mill for 29 years in a good union job. Needless to say, you can imagine the frustration I feel being stuck working for a company that is all about everything I am philosophically against. Okay, that's bad enough. They proceeded then to shove, quote, market-based management down our throats. But when they tell us employees who we should vote for, it makes my blood boil. A month before every election, they mail to our homes literature on who we as good Coke employees should vote for, including sample ballots, with all the Republicans checked off except a couple of token Democrats running for meaningless offices. They also direct our senior management to tell us that meetings in the, quote, current administration, that the, that the current administration is enforcing environmental laws that could adversely affect our mill and cause us to shut down equipment and lose jobs. They're trying to scare us. I have pointed out that the current administration has not created any new environmental laws. Uh, my comment, if only they would. They are just enforcing already those already in place that the Bush administration ignored. Yes. But they also send out memos saying that we are never to discuss our political point of view at work. And if we are ever to post our political points of view on company computers, we are subject to termination. They then send out memos telling us that we can be terminated if we post anything about our company or Koch brothers on social media that is negative in any manner anywhere on the Internet. I consider that a form of censorship from the dictatorship that I work for. Now, the latest memo they sent out is telling us 
that Coke employee, if if Coke employees decide to run for any political office, they must ask permission from their immediate supervisor. And then they go through the company's, quote, appropriate guidance and training program. What kind of fascist corporate BS is this? I feel like I'm living in a police state. Adam, this is why I'm mad as hell. I hope it makes your blood boil as much as it does mine. Uh, I get spooked when I see things like that because this isn't coming down from the state. This is coming down from the corporation. It's not only telling you what you can say at work. Okay, all right, all right. That's bad enough. But I understand a little bit. But now, if you run for office, you need to clear it with the corporations. This is a corporate state. And by definition, it is fascist. That's what it means to live in an oligarchy. Eric from somewhere in the Northwest, thanks so much for sending it. I was really touched by it. We got to do something about this. We got to end corporate personhood today. It's going to take time, but we have to start saying we're going to do it today. You're listening to Mad as Hell in America. I'm Adam Klugman. We'll be right back. Mad as hell in America. Now on 620 KPOJ. Mad as hell in America. I'm your host, Adam Klugman, and that is a blast from my past, King Crimson, 21st century schizoid man. And when I was 17 years old, I didn't think I was ever going to see the 21st century. And now we're 12 years into it, and it's freaking me out. All right, so we're going to move on from the 21st century schizoid man to a little bit of sanity because I want to tell you about a sponsor here that is totally consistent with the values of the show. Uh, It's called Better World Club, and they are the only environmentally friendly alternative to the automobile club in this country. In fact, they are America's only environmentally friendly automobile club, and they offer 24-7 nationwide roadside roadside assistance for cars and bikes. That's right. I said for bikes, too. Better World Club also offers green car insurance, free carbon offsets, hybrid car rentals, discounts on ego travel, free maps, and all the things you would expect from a first-class automobile club with none of the old-world political baggage, all at totally competitive prices. And, like many of the most progressive companies, Better World Club donates 1% of all of its revenues to environmental cleanup and advocacy. This is the kind of company where you want to spend your money. 
I mean, a lot of us talk about creating a better world, but here is your chance to put your money where your mouth is and vote for that better world with your dollars and get the exact same service and more than you're getting at the Automobile Club. And right now, there's a special offer for Mad as Hell listeners. Log on at BetterWorldClub.com. They have an awesome website. It's going to make you a better citizen, going to make, make you a better motorist. And when you sign up, enter the promo code MAHA2121. That's M-A-H-A-2121 and receive a 10% discount on your new membership. Experience for yourself what a new auto club for a new century is really all about. Join today. Today, I did. And drive the change, baby, because that's where we're headed. Uh, so we're back. Let's go to Dave in Battleground. Dave, welcome to yes. Mattis Hell in America. Hi. I- I'm just uh, curious if your listeners know about uh, this uh, website that's called Thrive Movement. Dot com. I, I know about it, but I'd go ahead and tell us a little more about it, Dave. Okay, well, I'm glad you know about it, and your listeners should uh, log on to it, because it it kind of talks about how money and greed has controlled this world for the last several hundred years, and it's quite a, a documentary. The, the documentary is called Thrive. The, the movement, uh, the, the website is called thrivemovement.org. Uh, it's yeah. it's an it's a stunning documentary done by a uh, Foster Gamble, who is the son of the Procter and Gamble fortune. Do I have it right, Dave? That's right. And uh, it it's a very revelatory. And it, it, what makes it even more interesting is who it is coming from. Uh, it's coming from you know certainly somebody who lands squarely in the one percent. Uh, we've been talking to them here uh, at Mattis Hell in America, and we're going to try. We're definitely going to get them on the show in February, and we're actually going to try to invite them up for an event and a screening of the movie, uh, which Mattis Hell in America will host. So, Dave, thanks for bringing that to everybody's attention. Okay. Uh, that, Anything else? Uh, uh, I just wanted to, the whole premise of it is how we've been uh, had a uh, the information about. UFOs has been uh, put back, been lied to for the last 50 years, and this is what brings it up to my attention because I had an uncle that saw one in Eastern Oregon, and I just, uh, it just, this whole thing that he brings up is why corporations have stifled this because it's free energy that that is known for centuries, but nobody has wanted to bring it up because the corporations can't make money on free energy. That's right, Dave. Don't tell anybody anything more. That's thrivemovement.org right. is the website. Dave, thanks for the call. Yeah. Uh, okay. It's it's really about, yes, it, it leads to this, this understanding. It gets into UFOs and some pretty actually credible stuff. But it starts, well, the, the premise is how can we build a world? This Foster Gamble says, you know, I've dedicated my whole life to trying to find how it is that human beings can thrive on this planet. It's kind of, he starts with Buddha's question, like, how do we end suffering? It's the equivalent. How do we create a world in which everyone thrives? And is it possible to create a world in which everyone thrives? And it follows it down kind of drills very deeply down into that. It gets into UFOs, but it also gets into banking. It gets, it, it speaks truth to power in a way that is actually quite beautiful. 
quite loving, quite right on, but uh, and talks about stuff that that is generally marginalized and put on the fringe, but needs to come into the center. We have a great show for you. Hang with us. In the second hour, the Lunch Pail Republicans are going to be here, and they're going to have a very surprising view on labor. It's going to surprise you. If you haven't heard of the Launch Pail Republicans, you'll be glad that you did. Also in the second hour, David Swanson is going to be here with a new book he's edited about the military-industrial complex at 50. In other words, from Eisenhower's speech to here, we're going to play that speech. And, of course, our good friend and funny man and good guy Lee Camp is going to be here. When we come back, you're listening to Mad as Hell in America. This is Adam Klugman. We'll be right back after this. Thanks for listening to AM620 KVOJ, Portland's only progressive talk station. Now, coming to you live from the banks of the Willamette River, it's Mad as Hell in America with Adam Klugman. You've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being. My life has value. Online at 620kvoj.com and on the air at AM620 KVOJ. I want you to get up right now and go to the window and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. Welcome back to the second hour of Mad as Hell in America. I'm your host, Adam Klugman, and you're listening to AM620 KPOJ, Portland's smart talk station. We had a good first hour talking about corporate personhood, talking about the balance between raising consciousness and staying politically active. We don't want politically active people with lowered consciousness because what does that get us, right? We're not going to get anywhere. But we don't want people sitting in the room raising their consciousness but not hitting the streets and demanding the change, whether it's in the political system or in the consciousness that we want to see in the world. So that is the ticket right there. We need to stay politically active and we need to stay engaged in our own personal evolution and growth as human beings as we raise the consciousness of the planet. And in fact, I might say that the consciousness is higher on the planet than it ever has been among individuals. And that that is the pressure that is putting on the system that is functioning at a very low level, a very survival level of consciousness. We're going to raise that, but we're not going to do it alone in a room. We're going to do it by getting politically active. We're not going to do it by getting so distracted by the political minutia of the day that we think that that's where it is, because that is the three-card money play. We get so involved with the political minutia that we forget that there's a much bigger picture out there, that we are after fundamental change in the way we do things on the planet. So, that's my wrap. We have an excellent show coming up for you. In a moment, Jefferson Smith is going to be here. He's Speaking of doing things differently, this is a guy who's always thinking outside the box. He's running for mayor of Portland. Now we're going to have him on. He's going to talk a little bit about a, a party coming up called A Party with a Purpose. And it's pretty cool for a mayor. I don't know any mayor in the country who's throwing a fundraising party like this. Uh, and then we're going to have the Lunch Pail Republicans here. I've been promising you these are the first Republicans I've ever had on the show. And these are Republicans that are going to surprise you with their views. These are like old-fashioned sane Republicans, people that you can actually carry on a rational conversation and have a, a, a difference of opinion Instead of, you know, talking points that are cover for a lethal agenda. 
And then the third hour, David Swanson is going to be here with his new book, The Military-Industrial Complex at 50, a phenomenal collection of essays. You want to read this book. So uh, let's go to Jefferson Smith. Jefferson, welcome to the show. I'm doing very well. So uh, Jefferson Smith is our guest. He's running for mayor of Portland. He wants to tell us a little bit about, you've got something called a party with a purpose coming up. What's that all about? Yeah, it's 100% Portland. The uh, It is January 26th. We'd love people to come. It's a big but small dollar uh, fundraiser and friend raiser that we're doing for the campaign. A uh, couple things behind it, and then uh, things, reasons we're doing it, and then I'll tell you a little bit about it. Uh, the there's been talk about this being a million dollar race. I don't think Mayor Portland needs to cost a million dollars, and I don't think political campaigns should be or need to be auctions. Uh, they should be about engaging lots of people in the conversation, engaging lots of people in the campaign. And the good news is, is we've gathered together a thousand donors faster than I think any. Uh, campaign in the history of the city outside publicly financed elections, which I wish we still had. So what we're doing is instead of trying to have a lunch where we invite 20 people and expect each of them to give a grand or more, what we're trying to do is try to get a few hundred people giving 12 bucks, 24 bucks, or 48 bucks, depending on what they can afford, to come on in. We're linking it with little policy uh, tables that are going to ask for feedback and ideas for what we're already working on, what we should continue to work on, and then also little stage, uh, little stations for how people can get engaged in the conversation in the city. So it's January 26th, and come on. So it's love January. To have, love to have people to come. It's January 26th from 7 to 10 p.m. At the Bossa Nova Ballroom at 722 East Burnside Drive. And one of the things I love about Jefferson Smith, he's a friend and a colleague, and uh, I am clearly a supporter of him for mayor of Portland. Wish I lived in Portland, I would vote for him. Uh, he's always trying to make politics fun. I'm going to read from a release I got here. Uh, quote We're going to take you on tour with fire dancers, aerialists, jugglers, puppeteers, and a comedian who says he knows what it takes to be a truly kick ass Portland mayor. Uh, what kind of environment is this party going to be, Jefferson? Well, hopefully it'll be fun. I think that the uh, too often the carrot and stick of political power is a bribe or threat. It's usually a little softer than that, but it's transactional. What we have to move our politics towards is being more relational, being less about transactions or power analysis and more about building relationships and building common purpose, building common cause. And one, and, and if people aren't just going there because they're, uh, you know, think they're going to get something out of it, uh, personally, they got a no-bid contract. What is the value proposition? How do you get people engaged? Well, one way is to try to make it fun. So that's why we have a magician. That's why we have swing dancing. That's why we're going to teach people how uh, to do Bollywood dancing if they want to stay for that portion. Uh, and what we're trying to do by calling it 100% Portland is we want, in terms of either our booths or our performers or our MCs, uh, or our ideas to demonstrate that we are all in this together and that this shouldn't be merely about drawing artificial divisions among our city, but recognizing that where I live in East Portland, where there has never been a mayor elected East of 82nd Avenue, that we've got things in common and our success is dependent upon what happens in the rest of the city. And, by the way, what happens downtown and in Southwest and in Irvington is linked to what happens East of 82nd Avenue. We're all in this together and trying to have an event that reflects that at least a little bit. Our guest is candidate 
for Mayor Jefferson Smith throwing a party called 100% Purpose, a par- 100% Portland, a party with a purpose, January 26th from 7 to 10 p.m. at the Bossa Nova Ballroom at 722 East Burnside Drive. Jefferson, let me ask you about a little bit about your campaign and your, sure. your intention for Portland. Your slogan is Portland Will. Um, so, so why did you choose that slogan, and, and what is your vision for Portland? What will Portland do? What, what Portland will? What, finish the sentence for me. Yeah, I'll say general and then specific. But we had a candidate for president for whom I and many other people uh, got really excited about and who campaigned on or campaigned with chance saying, yes, we can. And I participated in that. Yes. And there has to be a city in this country that shows that it can work, that it shows that it can have an economic development strategy beyond deregulation and tax breaks, that can show how we can be prosperous, sustainable, equitable, and make democracy function, that we can have a safe community and lead public safety not only through fear but also through community-oriented strategies. There's got to be a city that does that, and it's got to be Portland. Portland has got to be one of those cities. So not just, yes, Portland can, but Portland will, uh, was part of how, not just to play on the Obama thing, but by saying a commitment. It was also kind of with an additional meaning of what is it going to take to do that. It's not going to take a great mayor. What it's going to take is Portland's will. It's going to take all of us working together to make stuff go. We elect in our city, we have a weak mayor system. We don't elect a dictator. We need to, we need to elect a convener, a facilitator, a community organizer who's going to help us work on our most important objectives. So what's going to matter is not the will of the mayor, but the will of Portland. More specifically, let me say three things I think our city should do. One, we should have an economic development plan that focused not only on attracting out-of-state businesses, but on incubating and supporting those smaller, earlier-stage businesses we've got. And there's ways to do that. As I plug myself, but I'm supposed to do that because I'm running for mayor. Yes. I was named the 2011 Small Business Champion by the Oregon Microenterprise Network for work that we have done on that score. Second, I think we should set an objective to have the most robust set of summer enrichment programs of any major city in the country. We don't want to overstate the impact that we have on schools as a city because we don't run them. But I do think that we could impact summers better, which is one of the biggest drivers in the achievement gap between upper-income students and lower-income students. And third, we got to make government work better. Progressives have a real need and a real reason to be committed to good government because we want to be able to make the case that we're stronger together than we are apart, that public processes and public structures can, in fact, solve problems that otherwise wouldn't get solved. To be able to make that case, government has to be great, or at least it has to be good and better. And one thing I think we can do, that's why I worked on budget transparency in the state, that's why I worked on online voter registration, that's why I worked on performance-based budgeting. One thing we can do with a city is give one telephone number for all non-emergency government services. Just like we have 911 for emergency police and fire, 311 for everything else. They've done it in Minnesota. They've done it in New York. And it's worked famously. Beyond that, a public safety strategy that is committed to eyes on the street and community policing. And there's other stuff I could say, but I'm chewing up your airtime. Matt, you're not chewing it up. I'm glad you had a chance to give your pitch. If you want to know more about Jefferson Smith, go to jeffersonsmith.com. He's running for mayor of Portland this next cycle. He has got a fundraising event called 100% Portland, a party with a purpose. January 26th, 7 to 10 p.m. at the Bossa Nova Ballroom at 722 East. Burnside Drive. Jefferson, best of luck. Thanks so much for coming on the show and telling people about it. Thanks a lot, Adam. Appreciate it. If people want to also go to Facebook, find Jefferson Smith, click like. All right. Thank you, Jefferson. Cheers.
So uh, we're going to go to calls. We got a call on the board. Mark, welcome to Mad as Hell in America. What's up, Mark? Hey, Adam. Great show today. I really, really enjoyed it. It was Saturday. Um, I love hearing the uh, 21st Century Schizoid, man. That brought that <laughs> back to me, too. I was thinking if uh, King Crimson had a new album, it would be Newt's Tongue and Aspic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Funny you should mention Newt, because in the segment coming up, I'm going to play a little bit of Newt from the debate. Uh, this guy scares me a little bit. How about you, Mark? Does he scare you? Well, yeah, I mean, as long as he can keep Romney going back and forth, it's like watching this this train wreck that keeps going forward. It's, it's really kind of exciting. It's, uh... it's like a train wreck that locked, and then they pull one way and the other way and the other way, and they keep like, getting about six inches, and they but nothing's really happening. It's just madness. Exactly. But, uh, you know, just getting back to local races and, uh, you know, certainly um, Susan Bonavici's uh, race in the 1st District is really important. We need to get as many House members elected uh, progressives in the House. So that, we need uh, to get Susan Bonamici. If you live in the 1st con- Congressional District and you haven't sent in your ballot, send in your ballot for Suzanne Bonamici. She's a wonderful candidate, will make a great congressperson. Uh, yeah, Get, vote. Do yeah. vote. I think she's going to win, but I hesitate to say that. Then people don't send in their ballots. Yeah, that's the big thing. So we have a mail-in system here, and it seems to work pretty well. But, um, you know, we just can't take anything for granted. And hopefully Scott Walker will be out of Wisconsin soon, too. So we'll oh, that's, on that. <laughs> that's really good news. Mark, thanks for the King Crimson call. I do appreciate right. it. Thanks, Not buddy. a lot of people have heard it out there. It does date you, though, Mark. I will tell you that. Uh, when we come back, I'm going to do a little Newt Gingrich from the debate. I got a couple of clips here, and I pulled one from a while ago so that we can kind of figure out uh, what his, tact- his tactic is. He uses the same tactic every time he gets challenged. It's a rhetorical tactic, um, but it's really effective, and it kind of worries me a little bit. How about you? Numbers here, 503-248-0620, 1-866-452-0620. When we come back, I'm going to take a look at the Newtster. I don't know if you caught the last debate, but uh, when we come back, we're going to get a little highlight going. We're going to talk about a rhetorical device that this guy uses, and it just works only too well. You're listening to Mad as Hell in America. I'm Adam Klugman. We'll be right back. Maddening, isn't it? This is Mad as Hell in America, Portland's progressive talk, 620 KPOJ. Is there a sane man anywhere? I'm looking for one sane man. It's a question that plagues me a lot. Am I sane in an insane world? (laughs) Or am I insane in a sane world? Or am I insane in in an insane world? Uh, I sometimes fear that it is the last option. Insane in an insane world. But I do know somebody who I think is totally insane. 
But what is really frightening about him is that he appears so rational and sane. It's kind of the Bill Crystal. If you don't know who he is, he's the Weekly Standard guy, the guy who was kind of out in front rhetorically fronting the Iraq war as if it was, you know, just totally reasonable to bomb a defenseless country based on lies. I mean, I mean, how could you refuse the logic of that? Uh, he is uh, very persuasive. Newt has Newt Gingrich is the person I'm talking about, and he is the same kind of rational madness i might call it that 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 appears to be logical but uh is absolutely just full of empty rhetorical devices let's play the newt gingrich clip as you know your ex-wife gave an interview to abc news in it she says that you came to her in 1999 at a time when you were having an affair she says you asked her sir to enter into an open marriage would you like to take some time to respond to that no but I will. I think, I think the destructive, vicious, negative nature of much of the news media makes it harder to govern this country, harder to attract decent people to run for public office. And I am appalled that you would begin a presidential debate on a topic like that. Every person in here knows personal pain. Every person in here has had someone close to them go through painful things. To take an ex-wife and make it two days before the primary, a significant question in a presidential campaign, is as close to despicable as anything I can imagine. And I am frankly astounded that CNN would take trash like that and use it to open a presidential debate. I mean, come on, right? This is the guy who spearheaded the campaign against Clinton because he had an affair with a page and he made it his life's mission and he stood on his family values, bogus moral ground, and spent 80, 90 million dollars of taxpayer money along with Mr. Starr to assassinate a sitting president. This is someone who has had a who is a serial adulterer. And he has the gall to be the victim, right? Uh, uh, everybody here knows personal pain, personal pain. This guy is a sociopath, man. He is incapable of empathy or feeling. Do you doubt that the, his his ex-wife's claim? I don't. Of course not. He was having an affair with her at the time. Basically, he's coming to his wife and saying, gee, can I have permission to boink this woman over here? Uh, if not, hey, guess what? We're not going to stay married. Right? It was an ultimatum masked as, hey, let's be open-minded. You know what I mean? But, but, but it's important to understand the device that he uses. So I want to play another clip. This is from Chris Wallace about, uh, on Fox News about, I don't know, about eight or nine months ago when Newt's campaign fell apart the first time. Let's play it. How do you respond to people who say that your campaign has been a mess so far? Well, let me say, first of all, Chris, that I took seriously Brett's injunction to put aside the talking points. And I wish you would put aside the gotcha questions. I'd love to see the rest of tonight's debate asking us about what we would do to lead an America whose president has failed to lead instead of playing Mickey Mouse games.
Yeah, that monstrous applause is from that moral audience. A gotcha question? You're having trouble with your campaign. What had happened was there was this mass exodus from his campaign because everybody knew and discovered what he really was, which was a sociopath who was not, who didn't really have any intention of becoming president of the United States. Do you know he's not on the ballot in Virginia? He's not on the ballot in Virginia. So does he really want to be president? What game is he playing? What Mickey Mouse game is he playing? That's what I want to know. Because it looks like he's playing a Mickey Mouse game at the expense of the attention of the American people to, to be looking at what we really need to be looking at in this country. I swear to God, it's just this, it's like a watch the birdie. It's all three card Monty with these people. But, but what's important to understand is the rhetorical device that Newt Gingrich uses is that when he's asked the question that he cannot answer, he attacks. So if he's not comfortable answering the question, he goes on the attack. And what is the most convenient scapegoat? The media, right? Everybody eats it up. Oh, the media, yeah, because we're all liberal. The last time I was driving around looking for a liberal talk station, every single station on the radio is conservative. The ratio is something like 25 to 1. This media is hardly liberal. I wish it was liberal. But Newt Gingrich scares me a little bit. You know why? Because he's persuasive. If you, you can't see it on radio. But John King's face kind of fell when he was attacked. And I think what John King needs to do is launch back. Just answer the question, Mr. Gingrich. You're standing on moral ground. You say you're a man of family values. This is what you're running on. This is what the Republican Party says that it is. This is a fair question. And what he does is respond by attacking. Now, you have to watch him do that. He will do it again and again. And he's very articulate. And he's very smart. And this is a guy who wants to put children back to work. Right? Doing janitor jobs. Let's go back to Charles Dickens' time. This is a guy who thinks that as President of the United States, he has the right to remove federal judges who are, quote, anti-American. Be afraid of this guy. Be very afraid. When we come back, it will be Lunch Pail Republicans. It's an excellent segue. If you don't know what a Lunch Pail Republican is, you're going to find out. And I think you're going to be pleased. I was very pleased. When we come back, the Lunch Pail Republicans, you're listening to Mad as Hell in America with Adam Klugman. We'll be right back. America. Now on 620 KPOJ. Now if a six turned out to be nine, oh, I don't mind. Oh, I don't mind. If all the hippies. Welcome back to Mad as Hell in America. I'm Adam Plugman. You're listening to AM 620 KPOJ. Portland's talk station. So I just went off on Newt Gingrich. God, that guy makes me mad. And, you know, I've been saying it for a while. It just, you know, he always scared me a little bit because he really is a master rhetorician. You know, he's just somebody who, when he's backed into a corner, he's like a rat. You know what I mean? When he's got nowhere else to go, he attacks because he has no moral foundation. 
It's all posturing. It's all just empty political rhetoric. But damn, he's good at it. So this is a guy we got to watch. You got to watch his rhetorical strategy when you're listening to him. Don't listen to the content of what he's saying. Think about what rhetorical strategy, because that's all it is. It doesn't mean anything. He has not speaking from any moral foundation. Let's go to Don in Albany. Don, welcome hey, to Madison, Madison America. Adam. How you doing? I'm all right. How you doing, Don? Good doing okay. I've been kind of under the weather a little. For the Sorry last to hear few that. Days. But I'm, I'm I'm on the mend. I think. What's up? I was going to say. All in all, Newt Gingrich wouldn't know common decency if it walked up and slugged him. And I'll tell you what, when he meets his maker, I wouldn't be in his shoes for all the money in the universe. Yeah, I, I, I bet his maker won't want to have much to do with him. I Just know, I know. Send him to the front of the line. Try it again, brother. You got it all yeah, wrong. I know. Yeah, this guy, if he were president of the United States, you know, he'd scare me know, more than I George know. Bush. We're going to have some lunch pail Republicans on. Maybe they'll weigh in on Newt Gingrich when we come back. Uh, anyway, okay. Don, thanks for the call. Hope you You're feel better. Welcome. You have a good day. You too. Let's go to Ed. Ed, welcome to Matt as Hell in America. You know, he scares the heck out of me, too. Does I he mean, scare you? I mean, well, he's only interested in money. He'll he'll rip down anyone. He's like a ferret. I mean, he, uh, you know, he's ferret is with, a with, with hydrophobia. I mean, and, <laughs> and bright teeth. I mean, he doesn't care. And you know, like rodents, kind of chew at things to to make sure that their teeth are short enough. He'll chew at anything, and he'll just keep on chewing. But you know, I just heard a real nice thing uh, Lawrence O'Donnell said to, tonight. He said, "We got to remember this guy is sixty percent negatives." Yeah, I know. Sixty percent negative, and well deserved. I mean, this guy is once again—he's earned every point of it. A hydrophobic ferret. I mean, <laughs> uh, but bless you, I am scared to death of this guy. If yeah, he gets ever, ever gets to be president. Yeah, Mitt Romney scares me uh, just as much for different reasons. Yes. But, yes. but but this guy's. Well, he, let's, you know, let, let, let's hope at the next debate, though, this ferret can go after Romney and say. What are your tax returns? What the hell are you doing here? Yeah, right. Why not? Why not I mean, put them in a cage. Let them tear each other apart like the, what, the calico dog and the gingham cat. In the morning, there's nothing left of these guys. <laughs> there you go, Ed. Thanks for the call. I do appreciate it. Listen sure. to this segment about the Lunch Pail Republicans. These guys, these are sane Republicans. This is old school Republican. You want to check in with this. Uh, let's go to Mark in Clackamas, and then we're going on. Hey, Mark. Hey. Hey, Adam, good afternoon. You know, you're asking, what is it that makes us mad as hell? Yeah. Uh, I know I'm mad as Cloakman when I'm uh, screaming back at the radio. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, what I scream back at the radio at is the absolute intellectual infantilism of the average Republican electorate. It's These just... days, they, they couldn't uh, have an intellectual conversation within their own mind. I mean, they, my dad used to say he could. He's so stupid he couldn't pour piss out of a boot if the instructions were written on the heel. <laughs> you know, I am so freaking. I like that one. Off. Tell your old man I like that one. You uh, know. That, that, that's it. But what they do respond to, and I appreciate the call, Mark, you know, yeah. one of the things they, they respond to, you know, he says they can't have an intellectual argument because what motivates them are emotional triggers. And that's what the Republican leadership knows how to do. Right. We talked about abortion earlier. Right. They attack the media, attack Obamacare. There's no substance to the arguments. All it is is about creating emotional trigger points and kind of installing them in their base and then summoning them up at will by by raising the issue. Newt, as hypocritical as he is, as immoral as he is, as much as he is a serial adulterer, you know, all he has to do is just push the button. The media is bad. They're attacking me. I'm a victim. Don't you know that all of us have pain? 
Just madness. Absolute madness. Anyway, we're going to move towards sanity here at Mad as Hell in America. I want you to go to a website called LunchPaleRepublicans.com. LunchPaleRepublicans.com. When I heard about this, it was almost too good to be true. Uh, our next our next guest is David Fagan. He is chairman of the Lunch Pale Republicans, financial secretary of the 23,000-member International Union of Operating Engineers Local 150, and president of the I. UOE Indiana State Branch, a lifelong Republican and the first Republican I've ever had on the show. Fagan was appointed by Governor Daniels to the Indiana Port Commission in 2007. He is also appointed to the Law Enforcement Training Board by five governors from both parties. He was twice elected to the Portage Council and spent many years as a Republican precinct committeeman. Fagan worked for 10 years in steel mills and on construction projects in northwest Indiana before coming on staff as a business representative and being elected as financial secretary of Local 150. This is a union man from beginning to end. David Fagan, welcome to Mattis Hell in America. Uh, thank you very much, and it's good to be here with you this evening. So, Lunch Pail Republicans, I was really surprised. I've been telling my listeners all day that they're going to be surprised by some of the views, particularly at, that you take on labor. But before we get into the Lunch Pail Republicans and who they are, tell us a little bit of the background about what's going on in Indiana. You guys are based in Indiana, and, and how what's going on in Indiana relates to labor. Well, right now, it was uh, in around November, as I recall, the uh, legislative leadership, um, Senator Long and Representative uh, Speaker of the House Bosma, decided that their number one priority for Indiana in the upcoming 2012 legislative session that's now in process would be right to work. And as I re- read the press releases, I was just uh, amazed and shocked um, that this was their number one priority. At that point, the uh, Governor Daniels hadn't weighed in on the subject matter. Um, unfortunately, uh, not too many weeks ago, uh, Governor Daniels called me, along with a few other people, and asked us to come to his office in Indianapolis. Uh, we did, and sat there amazed uh, that the governor was going to sign on board uh, with uh, right-to-work legislation. And needless to say, right-to-work legislation is not what Republicans are trying to say it is in the leadership. Let's let's define the term right-to-work for a minute. I I think that it's a very deceptive term. We hear it a lot. They also frame it as worker freedom. Uh, Talk a little bit about right-to-work and how it's code for something uh, very different. It is a a tremendous uh, marketing strategy. The terminology uh, doesn't represent its true meaning at all. Um, I guess the way to bridge into it is to talk about the federal law just for a moment. Um, The National Labor Relations Act gave states a right to enact and uh, and change union security uh, clauses within various labor contracts within their state. Um, in In the 60s, there was a General Motors case that uh, said you could not force someone to become a union member. So that General Motors case dealt with the issue that throughout this country, uh, you can no longer have compulsory unionism. Right. Then in the 80s, there was a Beck decision that said you can't have compulsory unionism, but those people who are 
receiving the benefits of a collective bargaining agreement, uh, including the wages and the benefits, the terms and conditions, including a grievance procedure, must pay the fair share cost administering their collective bargaining agreement. What Right, right to Work does is say, um, unions, you must represent people under federal law, but in our state, state of Indiana, we're going to enact a law that says you, a, member, a person, may choose not to pay you anything, even though you're going to be legally obligated to represent them. And what I gave an analogy uh, to the governor when I met with him, this would be like passing a law in the state of Indiana that would say, you don't have to pay income taxes. You don't have to pay property taxes. You don't have to stay, uh, pay sales taxes. But what you have, to, but you will still get the services of the state and all its subdivisions, and you get it for free. Hmm. Most people hearing that analogy would quickly summarize a reasonable person would. That's unequitable. It's unfair. I, as a resident of the state, would be shifting the burden to pay for services to my neighbors, but yet I would still get those services. Uh, it's unfoundly unfair. Uh, our guest is David Fagan. He is chairman of Lunch Pail Republicans. LunchPailRepublicans.com is the website. Uh, David, I want to play a clip for you now uh, from a uh, the, the, the speaker in your state. Um, let's roll the clip. Indiana is the envy of the Midwest in job creation, but economic development experts say we can and we must do more. Hi, I'm Speaker Brian Bosma. In the next session of the Indiana legislature, we will vote to make Indiana the 23rd right-to-work state in America. We have to remove every barrier to job creation to give Hoosiers freedom and economic opportunity. With a quarter million of our friends and neighbors unemployed and 24% of Hoosier veterans unable to find a job, the time to act is now. Sign the petition to help us at speakerbosma.com. Okay, so that's Speaker Bosma from uh, your home state of Indiana. There seems to be quite a campaign going on. They want to turn Indiana into a right-to-work state, and Lunch Pail Republicans is set up uh, in response to that. So take it from there. Who are the Lunch Pail Republicans, and, and what are they doing? If you don't mind, let me first respond to his uh, issue of economic growth. Please do. In the state of Indiana, over the last six, seven years, government business, and labor have worked collectively together to pursue a foundation of economic strength for the betterment of all Hoosiers throughout the state and accomplished many things together. Um, major moves that uh, funded a $4 billion infrastructure project, um, dealing with the issues and, and uh, working with various entities for the uh, multi-billion dollar uh, BP expansion project in Whiting, Indiana. The recent working together in the state of Indiana to pass legislation for the Ileana Expressway, which has been talked about for 50 years. Local 150 was actively involved in uh, putting together a group of people who are going to make a $200 million investment in Gary. At one point, Local 150 received a thank you from the governor's office saying thank you for being the lead on this and, and getting this started for us. We have worked together, and that economic growth that the leadership is taking credit for, surely they're in a place to take credit for it, but it was a group of people working together. Now, 
Now they want to polarize the state. Right. Uh, and that polarization is tearing apart the very fabrics, fiber of what has made this state successful. So, so and I'm afraid. I'm afraid the polarization is going to lead to a decrease in economic activity. Uh, whereas we should end this right now and go back to collectively working together for the benefit of the entire state. Yes, I agree. Right to work is really just code for union busting. That's all it is. It's, all, I, it's not only union busting, but it negatively impacts small businesses because once you take away revenue from uh, labor organizations who collectively speak on behalf of not only their membership, but middle-class working families throughout the state, and, if, and as the studies show, the uh, wages of workers go down, you're also negatively impacting small business. And I might add, this is not, in my opinion, uh, a Republican philosophy. We shouldn't be having government interfering in the private sector, telling uh, a private organization you cannot collect revenue for services provided, telling companies what type of contracts they can enter into um, when it comes to labor relations. That should be between private entities and none of the government's business. Our guest is David Fagan. He is chairman of Lunch Pail Republicans, a group of Republicans who have come together to fight the Right to Work campaign in their state. When we come back, we're going to find out a little bit more about Lunch Pail Republicans. And David, in your ad, you say uh, it's time to take time to regain our party. I'm going to be interested to hear what you think about what qualities you would like to regain in the Republican Party that have been lost. Uh, David Fagan, hold with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Mad as Hell in America with Adam Klugman. We'll be back soon. Maddening, isn't it? This is Mad as Hell in America, Portland's progressive talk, 620 KPOJ. Welcome back to Mad as Hell in America with Adam Klugman. You're listening to AM 620 KPOJ, Portland's talk station. We're continuing a conversation with our guest, David Fagan, who is chairman of an organization called the Lunch Pail Republicans. LunchPailRepublicans.com is the website. David Fagan, welcome back to Mad as Hell in America. So we were t- we were uh, kind of doing a setup a little bit about what's going on in Indiana. There's this big push to have Indiana become a quote right right to work state, which we've established as kind of code for uh, kind of not just union busting, but but really undermining the whole kind of labor fabric of the state. Um, and you have formed Lunch Pail Republicans in response to that. Tell us about Lunch Pail Republicans, who they are, what they're doing, who their targets are, and what would be success for them. That, you know, in response to this uh, issue of it, right to work being number one priority, um, I sat down with a group of people and uh, needless to say that uh, very disgusted uh, that the Republican Party was now going to, in my opinion, um, declare war and try to silence labor organizations and, and those people who are speaking on behalf of small businesses and middle class families. So we figured, how do we do this? And it, we came up with the concept of lunch pill Republicans. And there are many people uh, that go to work every day, work hard uh, to support their families, um, 
going to use, and a lot of those people um, here in Indiana uh, have uh, supported Republicans, have voted for Republicans, and we want to use lunch pill Republicans to fund candidates who are pro-business, pro-labor. The two cannot exist without each other. And we're going to recruit, and we've started that process of recruiting pro-labor Republicans that will work and put the group back together that has been so successful, and that is business, labor, and government working together uh, for a better a better state here in Indiana. And right now, we've uh, one of the representatives is uh, the labor chairman, uh, Representative Gutwine. Uh, we have a candidate uh, that has filed. Uh, we will be making a uh, public uh, press release, uh, most likely tomorrow, announcing our our candidate. She's a school teacher. Uh, she has a master's in uh, business, and we she think we think she will be a great candidate for those people that understand that people should be in a position to make decent wages, have decent benefits, and a company should be profitable. It's a winning combination, not only for the state, but for each and every community throughout this country. It's refreshing to hear a Republican talking like that. I have a question on the board for you here. Uh, Mark, you're on with David Fagan, chairman of the Lunch Pail Republicans. You have a question for David? Yeah, I was just, I've been following the Indiana politics a little bit, and about the Secretary of State, wasn't he indicted for voter fraud? And, and what's going on there in terms of him being removed? Or, uh, I don't know, is there any uh, powers that can actually get him out of the system? Um, I'm sorry, I didn't hear the question. Uh, I'm just wondering if, uh, if the Secretary of State of Indiana, he's been indicted for voter fraud, if he can be removed from office, or what's going on in that regard in terms of... Uh, uh, for voter fraud, what he committed, uh, you know, was in, the, in Indiana. David, thanks for the call. Appreciate it, Mark. Sure. Uh, is that within the scope of what the lunch pail Republicans are trying to do, or is the scope more narrow than that? We lost David Fagan. I'm not sure how we lost David Fagan. He will be coming back. Um, so, so lunch pail Republicans, lunchpailrepublicans.com, our guest is David Fagan, or was David Fagan, but he got bumped off the line. Um, what I'm finding really refreshing is that what we have is a group of Republicans in Indiana who get the idea, who do not buy into the conservative meme that has been launched over the last 20 years, that somehow unions and labor are somehow antithetical to good business. You see, this is, again, one of those lies that has no substance. And I think that it's time for Republicans to do what David Fagan said he was going to do, what they say in their ads, and I really, their ads are sensational, at lunchpailrepublicans.com, is to regain their party. Because I remember back in the day, I would never be a Republican, but I do remember back in the day, I could have a rational conversation with a Republican they might say, I think we need less government regulation. And they could provide a reasonable argument for why laissez-faire capitalism made sense. And I could say, ah, oh, yes, but, you know, uh, 
laissez-faire capitalism leads to unbridled capitalism. And we could have a rational argument without using jargon and rhetoric as cover for a lethal agenda. David Fagan is back. David Fagan, welcome back. Sorry we lost you there. Yeah, sorry about that, too. I think the uh, handset here on the landline went dead on me. Uh, uh, that's too bad. Well, we are running out of time. Let people know what they can do to support the Lunch Pail Republicans. Well, here in the state of Indiana, uh, those people, we will clearly identify those people who are uh, supported by Lunch Pail Republicans. Uh, we clearly would ask for them to uh, support those candidates when they go to the polls. For all the listeners out there, uh, they can go to our website. There's a post office box, uh, as well as the ability to uh, donate to Lunch Pell Republicans. And we will use this money uh, to change the uh, roadmap um, here in the state of Indiana. Now, needless to say, the Republican Party here in the state of Indiana and its leadership is acting with an element of arrogance. That's I think that arrogance David, is because... David Fagan, I'm going to have to cut you off. I'd love for you to come back on the show and keep us posted. We're right up against the hard break. David Fagan, Lunch Pail Republicans. Check them out. When we come back, we've got two calls on the board. Want to pick up about Newt. David Fagan, thank you so much. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Great. We'll talk soon. When we come thank back, you, your calls.